Hi, and welcome to the Travel Now podcast. If you're looking for inspiration for your next adventure, for money-saving ways to book or ideas to get the most out of your time away, then this is the podcast for you. Hello, Thank you so much for checking this out. Thank you for your time. My name is Luke Richardson. I'm an author of thriller novels, and I have to confess, a total travel addict. I record this now. I'm back in Nottingham. Um, It's quite a nice summer's day towards the end of May or a spring day towards the end of May. I'm drinking a cup of tea and I've got the patio doors open and you may be able to hear some of the birds singing outside. It's actually very, very nice. I'm enjoying it. (laughs) So in this podcast, I'll bring you stories from my travels interviews with people who've been to the places I want to go and live episodes from the road. In the last episode, in fact, that was my first ever live one uh, from Brighton when I was down in the southeast visiting my parents. I really enjoyed it and I'm definitely going to do some more of them. Today, though, we're going a bit further afield when I talk to Chris Oldfield about his journey on the Trans-Siberian Railway from Moscow to Beijing. You'll find the Trans-Siberian Railway on any self-respecting list of the world's ultimate train journeys. Officially called the Trans-Mongolian Express, this train journey, though, is anything but an express. Covering over 2,000 kilometres, the journey can take over a week, although to experience some of the cultures you'll be passing through, getting off the train is a must. Now, this is something I've wanted to do for for quite some time. I've spoken on this podcast many times about my love of train travel, the idea that you can... Um, you can you can look through the window and see the landscape changing, see the clothes that people wear changing, see the, the weather or the temperature changing sort of stop by stop. I find that a very, very powerful way to travel, actually. And interestingly, I have um, Chris traveled from Moscow right the way through to Hong Kong. So from Beijing, he did did another leg of the journey, which I've done myself. Uh, whilst I was visiting China some years ago. So we, we sort of compare notes on that final leg. And you talk about that being, you know, that being just a small section of, of the journey he took. It was still over, you know, it was still a solid thousand miles or so, you know. <laughs> so it's still a very, a very long way, even though it was just that final section. And interestingly, as you'll hear from the start of this interview, I had just planned to talk to Chris about Mongolia because that's an interesting place. I've never really thought of going and um, a sort of backwater tourist destination that I'd love to explore. But when we talked more about the train journey and the differing cultures between the places and what it's like being on a train for that length of time, that just became a really interesting topic to explore. So as is always great with these podcast deep dive conversations, they change from what you plan them to be. In this conversation, then, we talk about why Mongolia is such an interesting travel destination. We talk about how to get over the fears that you might have when you visit a place that's so different from your own, a culture, perhaps, that's so different from your own. And we talk about why the train offers such a unique perspective on this largely uncharted part of the world. Let's listen in. This podcast is sponsored by Bucket List. The Trans-Siberian Railway has been on my bucket list for years. So straight after this interview, I'm heading over to bucketlist.co where I'll add it to my online bucket list. 
Then, when I finally get around to actually booking the trip, I can compare accommodation, travel costs and enjoy exclusive discounts. Yeah, so I'm really interested to hear about this amazing sounding trip. Um, to Mongolia and what was what's the capital called? I can't, I, Ulaanbaatar. Uh, yeah, Ulan. Uh, the A is it's shorter, so it's like it's spelled. You'd think it'd be like Ulaanbaatar, but it's like Ulan. There's almost like a G sound, like Ulaanbaatar, like Ulaanbaatar. Yeah, the the end. And I I was calling it. I think I was calling it like Ulaanbaatar, <laughs> like up until I went there, and then I got there. I was like, oh. Cool. That's it. That's right. That's I'm interested way. on it for a couple of reasons. The first one, it sounds like an incredible place and it's a place I've never thought of going, which always appeals to me. And the second one is you, is you traveled there overland. So you got the, the train from, from Moscow. Yeah. So, so, uh, we left Moscow and then we're taking the train, uh, all the way across Russia through Mongolia to Beijing. And then eventually we ended up in Hong Kong. Um, so we did that over the course of like 40 days, give or nice. take. Um, yeah, which was, which was uh, you know, impromptu in the sense, not super sort of impromptu because you need a visa for Russia and Mongolia and China. Um, so like we obviously had to do some planning, but like in regards to like my partner and I were talking, we we're like, where, where could we go? Like, what do we want to do is our first trip together? Um, and so I don't even know how or why we ended up doing this. Like it, it was, it was nothing like one of us growing up, like, Oh, I can't wait to like go to Russia in like October or so, you know, it was just, it was, it was sort of just like, that sounds like something that, you know, I'd never think of, like it, it wasn't something we were drawn to. So we're just like, yeah, let's just, let's just do it. Um, and, and, uh, I'm, I'm really glad we did. I know it's one of those trips I would I would love to do to be fair, but it, it's a long a long time on on some seriously overnight sketchy trains. You know, it's it's not a comfortable journey from the research I've done. No, no, and we uh, so we sort of planned our trips out because you can you can do the whole train journey from coast to coast in Russia or like Moscow's not really a coast, but from end to end uh, without stopping like you can just stay on the train the whole time and that's dirt cheap like a few hundred pounds um but for every stop your ticket gets more expensive because uh-huh. you have to you're buying a new leg of the journey but then you're also like paying to spend a night or two in this place um so we tried to break it up in a way that was like still cheap because we didn't have a lot of money um but also like uh making sure our train journeys weren't too long which like some of them were like, we spent over 50 hours on the train one leg, which was <laughs> just, just ridiculous. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and you can also, there's different classes. There's first, second and third class. And so we booked tickets in all three just to like try it out and see, you know, what was most of ours were second class, which was four beds in a room. So we'd have two and then there'd be two for other people. Um, but fortunately, because we went in like October, uh, there was almost nobody else on the train. It was just for most journeys. It was just like in our train car, it was just like us, maybe one or two other Russians and like the conductor. And that was, 
that was brilliant. it. Brilliant. That's a good bit, a good tip then, actually, to go. So would that count as off season then in the in the autumn? Yeah, time? yeah, yeah. Very off season. Like it was because, uh, like, even in summer, like you know, Russia's not like a hot spot. Like no one's no one's going there to like for fun in the sun. So yeah, come October, it's like oh, it's gray. There was even snow in places. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was very. I, I remember seeing like one other backpacking couple on the train once and like that was that was it so i I assume if you go in the summer you'll you'll encounter more travelers and you'll maybe be able to make like more sort of connections that way because we felt very um isolated not in a bad way just like we're doing this by ourselves and there's not really anyone else here which was which was kind of neat was it now i've done a bit of travel in china i did the 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 final leg of your route in fact because i went from hong kong to beijing via um oh what was the place called so sort of up the up the west of the country and then back down via shanghai in the east um Mm -hmm. and some of those train stations are bonkers and we had either was with a group and the the guy was leading us but i i I would have struggled to find the right platform and get on the right train without someone because there's nothing in english it's all in in chinese characters and whatever did you struggle in that way through through mongolia and russia and, and when you got to china or did you sort of managed to find your way asking people in a few Chinese or Mongolian or Russian words, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very, in, in all three countries. Uh, and that was part of the fun is, was there wasn't a lot of English spoken. Mm. Um, Russia was probably the hardest um, for a couple of reasons. Um, one was that all of the trains, and I don't know if they still do this, but they run off, moscow time so you know if your train says it departs at 3 p.m that's 3 p.m moscow time so even if you're not in moscow's time zone you still have to like think okay we're two hours ahead so that means this so that alone is just a nightmare um and once you get out of essentially out of moscow like once you get sort of east of moscow you're essentially in rural russia like there's still large cities but like with regards to like English speaking and, and sort of more Western influences, not super there, or at least they weren't when I was there. Um, we actually missed one of our trains uh, in Yekaterinburg. We were couch surfing uh, with an English translator, which was great. She could answer all our questions, spoke <laughs> fluent English, um, lived in like these old Soviet apartment blocks that were like the all sort of uniform and gray and it was it was very sort of sort of um felt like stepping back in time but we went out to dinner with her and ended up missing our train um because we were late um but she like sorted it all out for us she like talked to the person and like got us booked on the next train maybe we had to pay for a new ticket i don't remember but she was very like like she was laying down the law to this like woman but otherwise yeah like if we got lost or then we did several times uh you're just like on your own like you just have to like point to your ticket because like by the end i could i knew a few words in in russian because cyrillic's not super hard to read but like i couldn't pronounce i couldn't read the ticket so it's, you're just like holding it up to someone and like hoping that they can help you and they're sort um, of sporadically pointing in the direction you hope is the station you know <laughs> yeah yeah and so but I mean, that, that was, that was part of it. Like that was, that was part of the the challenge. Cause like you also, you have to like change trains 
regularly, you know, we're doing all these stops and like, you have to like stock up on food for the train. Cause if you're going to be on the train for like 30 hours, it's like, you got to get food. So then you have to go to the grocery store and figure out like, like what, what is what, like, what can I eat? What do I want to eat? Uh, like these mysterious so, packages of whatever it looks like strange stuff inside you know <laughs> yeah yeah and then so so it was it was a whole it wasn't just adapting to like russia as like a destination but it was adapting to russia while also essentially like living on a train for a month mm. it's a fascinating was, it's a fascinating way to travel i've i've loved traveling in that way in the past and this journey you're talking about is is something I've, you know, wanted to do for some time and, and hopefully will. Did you think at the start, we'll stop here, here and here, or did you just get on and find an interesting place or, or go a leg ahead of where you were at that time? You know, what sort of planning did you Yeah. Do? So, so when you apply for a Russian visa, you have to tell them exactly where you're going. So you have to say, okay, we're going, we arrive in this city on this date and then we're going here, then we're going here and then we're going here. So, now, can you change that? Like, are, are they, is the KGB going to be like following you? I doubt it. Like you could probably change things up if you wanted to, but we didn't, we planned out sort of, um, in advance, like, okay, we're, we'll go here for a few days and here and sort of spread our trip out that way. Um, mostly because we wanted to make sure we, uh, didn't spend too much time on the train or like, cause the spacing of when it stops, you know, maybe the train stops at it in a convenient place, but like it arrives at midnight. It's like, well, we don't really want to mm. be trying to find like a hotel at midnight. So we'll go to the next station. So planning out the times in advance was, was, um, at least for us for that time, the, the, what we thought would be best. If I was doing it again, I'd probably plan it out in advance instead of just winging it just because, I don't know any Russian, like yeah. I'm not super familiar with everything. So if I had to improvise, um, it wouldn't go smoothly, you know, like in, in, in here, like in Western Europe. Yeah, sure. Like you got a Euro, your rail pass wing it. That's fine. There's enough English speaking people that that wouldn't be a problem. But in Russia, I felt more comfortable, like here's our itinerary and like planning it out. I think that's a wise move. I, I remember from this travel, this this trip in China, we got to some stations, and the way China was is that they had built stations in preparations for for towns or cities that had either yet to be built or never would be built. So you get to this massive station, you'd come out of the of the of the door, and there's nothing around, you know. And I'd imagine you've just said getting off a train at midnight. Yeah, there'll be a hotel nearby. There always is, you know. And you get out and are met by just nothing, you know. Yeah, yeah, that that's sort of that was our experience in in Mongolia actually. Like we got off the train and there was there was like it was it was fairly busy like and we got there late at night. Like I don't know exactly but it was like it was dark, 10 p.m. or something, 9 p.m. And we were going to go to a hostel and I just like written down the address and like crew directions like on like a piece of paper just like go to this street, make a left, look for this sign or something. I was like, "Oh, we'll figure it out." But it was like super dark, couldn't see anything. And we ended up like walking around for like an hour or something. And eventually just like, yeah, found a cheap, super grungy hotel. And we're just like, this will have to do. Lesson learned. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can't plan things too much. No, it's it's a really exciting sort of way to travel. And the thing I love about traveling in places like that is when you go to New York or Paris or London, 
you you have an impression that the people you're seeing around are other tourists and like that place exists for tourists in a way there's part of your mind that thinks that doesn't it that there's a person there selling your you know selling the the london cap or a little a little red phone box on a chain or whatever mm-hmm. and the thing i love about traveling in places like china and i'm sure mongolia and russia are the same is is that you get off a train and you feel like this place is existing despite me being here or not being here this is the same as it's been for for forever or for certainly for a long period of time and my being here makes no difference whatsoever is that the impression you got in some of these mad backwater cities that you've never sort of heard of or thought about you know in the past yeah yeah totally i mean you know like moscow there's like some tourist infrastructure there some sort of big sites you know you've got red square uh and so there's some you know you've heard of people going there to like for one reason or another but once you go further east uh, it's like, yeah, you, you might not see any other non-Russian travelers and you show up, you know, we'd pull up to these train stations, um, and, you know, we'd get off just for like 10 minutes, like buy food or whatever. And like, uh, yeah, you see nothing familiar. Like the Mm -hmm. only familiar thing, the only familiar sight I remember is like buying Lay's potato chips, Uh, (laughs) And they were like crazy flavors that you couldn't read the package. So you just have to open it and try to taste it and see. Um, but like beyond that, like you're just like, everything's different. And, and yeah, you really feel um, like you, you don't fit in, right? Like this, this sort of, this canvas, this painting, this cultural painting here, uh, you are very clearly the outsider. Um, which is like a really great feeling. Like as like a white English speaking person, like most places in the world I can go and to be honest, get by without having to do much work. Right. Like I learn a couple of phrases and like everyone caters to me. Uh, so it was nice to be forced to like do more um, as, as a traveler. Mm, yeah. I hundred percent feel that now some people, and I, I perhaps include myself in this would find that, pretty scary now i would find that scary but i love that feeling of being scared because you're in a place that's completely new was there any points where you felt that 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 perhaps fear was justified or was everyone very friendly and open to you being there and you know you know and sometimes you you go to a place like that and and certain you feel like people are taking an interest in a little bit of a menacing way you know it's only happened to me a couple of times on the road and it happens a lot less than your fear makes you think it does you know Um, but was there any 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 point at which you felt like that or was it just you know was it was it just in in the mind of the western traveler that fear you know that curse that we've got of (laughs) yeah yeah so before i went every person i talked to who had been to russia got robbed in russia and all of them told me like like even a friend of mine who was born there because i just you'll probably get mugged at some point or someone will try to mug you. So just like, and she's very casual about it. I was just like, uh, great. <laughs> and she, she told me a story of like a, a friend of hers who got mugged and then the muggers walked that person home because they didn't want them to get mugged again without having anything. Cause if somebody tries to rob you and you don't have anything, they'll probably just beat you up. Uh, so these muggers are like, Hey, give us your wallet. We'll walk you home. So you don't get beaten up. And I was like, so like, uh, and you know, whether that story has been embellished before Amazing. it got to me, whatever, but it's like, <laughs> you're going in with that mindset. Like, you know, if you look at the 
like the list of the world's safest countries, like Russia, not, uh, not in the, not in the top part of that list. Um, so I didn't go in like feeling sort of scared, but I was, I was cautious. Um, you know, I was, I was sort of aware of my surroundings, but that's sort of the case everywhere. The only time I felt sort of on edge was in Moscow when we were on the subway uh, and these like young hooligan kids started like not harassing us, but just like, they were like asking us where we're from and like where, you know, uh, where we bought our bags and like how much our stuff is worth. And, you know, they were like 17 or something. So it's like, you know, there were other people around and this Russian guy stepped in to like tell them essentially to piss off. Um, but you know, it's not like they were like wielding weapons or anything. Uh, but aside from that, and even that's like a double-edged situation because these, these kids were like being dicks, but this really nice guy sort of stepped in and he didn't really speak any English. He didn't really say anything to us, but he like sort of got them off our back. Uh, and that was more of what I experienced in Russia. This like super friendly people, even if they don't really speak English, uh, trying to make us feel welcome and trying to like uh, ask us questions. Um, you know, we were, there was another situation. We were in like a little mini bus with this drunk Russian guy and he had like a chainsaw. Um, it wasn't on and I didn't really feel unsafe, <laughs> but it was just like one of those, you know, talking to a drunk person. It's like, that happens anywhere. He was doing his best to be friendly. So like, but uh, no, for, for the most, most part, I would say like the people I encountered were some of the friendliest I've, I've met on, on trips. Mm. And that Which fear was- can be very fortifying, can't it? I, I always think, you know, because the fear is, it's not, the fear is, is something that I think a lot of people might, it might go, oh, I won't do that, but you do it. And you, and you afterwards you think, oh yeah, that was, that was great. You know, that was fine. I've proven to myself this, I've proven to, you know, I've proven that this, this is safe, that this is something we can do. And yeah, it's, it's a really good feeling, isn't it? When, when things like that go well and things like that, there is no, you know, nothing. Yeah. Happens. Yeah. Like I, I think like when it comes to self-confidence and, uh, in, in any sort of format, uh, you know, um, experience is, is sort of the best builder of those muscles. And so, you know, maybe not everyone's comfortable with like doing a solo trip to Russia or something, but, you know, you, you start small and eventually, you know, you, you boost that confidence up, whether you're going on a, you know, going on a weekend trip to a town nearby just to like experience it for yourself or, you know, going backpacking across Africa by yourself, whatever, you know. Uh, but the more you do these things, the greater that your confidence grows. And that doesn't mean bad things won't happen because they inevitably will, but you'll be much more prepared and sort of comfortable with them happening. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So let's focus, um, if we can, on, on the time you spent in Mongolia then, um, because I've seen some photos of Mongolia and the countryside looks just out of this world incredible you know you're talking about plain like big open spaces like deep blue sky mountains on the horizon and i've seen pictures things pictures with sort of wigwams in and all this sort of stuff that you know it just looks like a a completely different sort of country what was your experiences traveling through yeah yeah exactly what you're saying like like in, in hindsight, if I was planning that same trip again, I would have doubled the amount of time I spent in Mongolia. You know, we were just sort of passing through Mongolia. 
we're like, oh, we'll stop. Why not? Like, see what it's like. But, you know, as, as a country, like Mongolia is massive, mm-hmm. but it's tiny compared to its neighbors, Russia and China, which overshadow it geographically, sort of culturally, economically. So, you know, everyone's heard of Mongolia, but nobody, it's not a country you can close, most people can close their eyes and like, n- like name 10 facts about Mongolia. Like it's not going to happen. So I, I went in there like with virtually no knowledge beyond of like, I have a history degree. So obviously I'm familiar with like Mongolian history because Genghis Khan sort of mm. had something of an impact on the world. Um, but other than that, I'm just like, let's just show up and see what happens. Uh, and, and, and I loved it. It was, it was amazing. Um, uh, it, the country is so empty. Like it's, it's a massive, massive country. Uh, and there's only like 3 million people or something in it. Wow. And, and half of them live in the capital. So you've essentially got one big city and then like villages and small towns and that's, that's it. So it was, it was super unique in that sense. Um, and, and also like, like arriving into, cause you, you arrive into the capital, uh, and it's, it has very much the feeling of like a developing city. Uh, like there was a bunch of skyscrapers. And I think when we went up on this hill, I counted and there was like 50 more being built. Like you're going to see cranes everywhere. So you could tell that this was like a city that was still growing into itself. Um, you know, there's Mongolia has a lot of natural resources. So that's sort of getting, you know, there's a lot of like mining and stuff. So you've got lots of embassies and expats sort of living there as well. Um, but it was, you know, it was a very disorganized, hectic, dirty, dirty in the sense of like, there's dust everywhere blowing yeah. in from like the step. So like all of the pictures I have, it's like the sky, a layer of smog, a layer of dust, and then the city, um, which was, uh, yeah, which is like not something you see. Like, sure, every city's got pollution, but like dust and like dirt on this, like blowing on the sidewalk was like something, you know, it was this sort of this interesting contrast of like nature versus progress, like Mm. playing out in front of your eyes. Um, And then also like, there's just like the little things like, um, you know, like, so, so you're in the UK. So if you go and buy a car or rent a car, you know, it's going to be set up for you to drive on the left. And then if, you know, I'm from Canada, if I go buy a car, rent a car, it's going to be set up the opposite. And you can't, like, I can't rent or buy a UK style car in Canada. But in Mongolia, they import cars from everywhere, from, from Japan, from Korea, from Russia. So they all drive on the same side of the road, but some people will be sitting with the steering wheel on the right. Some will be sitting on the left. And it's just like, you know, trying to make sense of it all. It's just like, it's just like one of those neat little things that you don't really think about in most other countries because there's some law saying everybody's got to do it the same way but because you know this city was still developing like there's no rule for that and there's i mean i didn't really notice any rules of the road in general you know <laughs> lots lots of uh, horn honking and instead of signaling and that sort of thing so it was it was very chaotic in the city um but then you you know you drive out of the city and like 30 minutes later, it says like, you see nothing, like no trees, just like the, the Mongolian steppe, like camels and like, yeah, pe- people, like people on horseback. 
absolutely incredible sort of sort of thing it reminds me quite a lot in my uh, it reminds me quite a lot of Kathmandu there in my in my memory because I obviously set one of my books there it was so it was such a striking influence on my sort of travel life because of the sort of things you've said in that it is it is sort of civilization at at the rawest form I think I've ever seen it like every every corner of that city is is someone someone doing something creating something you know what i mean like mm-hmm. uh, every every card no matter how old it is 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 stapled back together or taped back together and still in use you know <laughs> yeah it, it, exactly it's it's um you know uh it's sort of like the birth of a more modern city and not to say that these developing cities are less good or anything like that but it's like you can you can very clearly trace the evolution of like here's what it is now and here's what it's going to be in 20 years or 30 years or or whatever um so it's it's super interesting to get to see it at that point because i'm sure even now like it would be very different yeah absolutely what sort of western influence was there were, were they you know were you seeing sort of coffee bars and fast food restaurants or were it was it all sort of your local did it have that that level of Western influence yet, or is that still to come? Yeah, so there was there were like sort of lots of Western influences. Um, I think because the capital has a lot of embassies, so you've got expats there, and because there's lots of mining and stuff like that, you've got some global corporations there. So yeah, we we found like a French cafe that was near the French embassy that had like baguettes and like stuff like that. But but for the most part, like. Yeah, it was very much uh, 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 an obvious mix of like of of cultures, like a little bit of Russia, a lot of Chinese, sort of sprinkled in some Western influences, but all with this sort of very local twist. So it was it was it was it was recognizable. Like it, it looked like you know a, a modern city, but just things were just slightly slightly different. You know, kind of like I don't know if you've been to Japan, but like. You know, Japan is very modern, very Western. Like you go there and you can, you see like, oh, this is a city, but it's also got a very, its own Asian flair to it that makes it unique. And so that was, that was kind of the feeling I got with, with the capital. Like, like this is, this is, there's a distinct sort of culture and identity here. Uh, And parts of it are very recognizable, but parts of it are completely foreign. Mm, absolutely fascinating. I'd love to love to travel and love to visit there. Did you spend any any time or much time out of the capital then, staying with staying in some of the smaller towns and villages, or was that a sort of downside of going on the train in that it stopped mostly in the in the larger places? Yeah, we 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 hired a driver to like take us out of the city and go explore the steppe. Um, and yeah, so so most people who who go there, like most backpackers and travelers go there to do like multi-day camel treks where you go out for like, I don't know, three days, five days, two weeks, whatever. Um, And so that's like the main sort of tourist attraction for like, for travelers. Um, So we didn't want to do that um, mostly because it didn't fit in with our schedule. Like um, because we had to, we were sort of tied to the train. Uh, But yeah, we went out of the city, hired a driver to take us around, just because I don't think I, I wasn't confident enough to like handle the traffic there is very, no. <laughs> very, you know, there's certain countries where I'm just like, you know what? Like I, I, do, I don't think I could drive here. Like I don't think I'm good enough 
to drive through. Like Europe, fine. North America, fine. But like, you know, there's certain kind of like Mongolia. It, it kind of reminded me like Vietnam, Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. where it's like, there's no rules. You just got to sort of feel as you go. And it's like, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll splurge on the driver. It's still dirt cheap. And yeah, so he took us out, uh, out of the city uh, and around the steppe and sort of on the outskirts of this national park. Um, and it was just so like, so barren, like I, we didn't see trees for until like the end of the first day, uh, near the national park. And even then it was like, they weren't big trees by any means. Um, but it was just like grass, like, and, and sort of desert for, for forever. Like that was, that was it. I've never seen anything like it. Um, and then we stopped at, and this is probably the most surreal experience we had there outside the city. So right in downtown uh, of the capital, there's like this big uh, Genghis Khan statue. It's huge. And there's like other statues. And that's like the main sort of tourist square that you can visit. And that's really cool. But if you drive outside the city for like an hour and a half, just like in the middle of nowhere, uh, and the road was like, it wasn't asphalt. It was like cement blocks. Like it didn't feel like you were going anywhere sort of important. And after like an hour and a half or something, we get to this place and there's this huge statue of, of Genghis Khan. It's like, I don't know how tall it was like 140 feet or something like huge and made of shiny, like aluminum. And there's nothing around it. There's a parking lot and this big statue and like the base of it is a museum and that's it. Like there's no, it'd be like the Eiffel tower being like not in Paris, but just like in the middle of like some random like park an hour away, you know, like it's, it's, there's no other attract. Cause like most attractions, like, you know, the Colosseum in Rome, everything's built up around it. You know, even the great wall in China, like it's far away from the city, but like there's still infrastructure around it, restaurants and stuff like that. But this was just like this huge, huge statue of Genghis Khan that you could like take an elevator up and like a football field of parking lot and then just desert again. And so it was so, and we were the only people there. Uh, Like, like, can you imagine like going to like the Eiffel Tower and it's, there's, there's no lineup. It's just two, you walk in and you go to the top and there's like a staff member standing there, like saying hello. Like it's so, it was so weird. Um, and it, it was amazing. Like there's a great museum there and you could take an elevator up into the statue and get an amazing view. But like, yeah, like to me, that's like the quintessential, like uh, sort of metaphor for Mongolia. It's like, it's here's something new, but in like a weird sort of, quirky unconventional uh way like presentation um uh, and yeah and so we went up and enjoyed the view and again like no there were no tourist buses showing up you know uh it was it was so so surreal i love it and and as you say a good metaphor for the place that they're sort of they're sort of trying to to cash in on the on the tourist thing without the tourist really knowing that it was there in the first place sort of thing is that is that the idea yeah yeah like i mean we did a bit of research before the trip but like i didn't i hadn't heard of this before we left like we they just when we showed up at our hostel we found it eventually 
we were just like, hey, like, what can we do? Like, what should we do? And they're like, you got to go go to the statue. And we're like, oh, cool, we'll do that. Uh, but like, you know, if they had built it in the city or something like that, like, that would make sense. But it's way <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere, which, which you know, is is kind of nice. Like, it forces you to get out of the city mm. and and see more of the countryside and the, and the nature, um, which you know, which is a good thing. But also like uh, a very sort of unconventional choice when it comes for like to to a major tourist a major would-be tourist attraction yeah absolutely love it chris again every time i do one of these podcasts i just get another place that i'm really inspired about going to so thank you for that is there anywhere that you'd like people to check you out online or, or follow you on social media or anything like that before we go yeah, yeah. You can check out, uh, you can find me on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at uh, Lessons Learned Abroad. Um, I also have a website, lessonslearnedabroad.com. I don't really blog there anymore, but I do have some Mongolian stories there if anyone is interested. Chris, thanks so much. That's been brilliant. Yeah, take care, man. I enjoyed that conversation so much. As you can probably tell by the way I was asking questions, just completely enthralled in what Chris was saying. It's one of those sort of trips that just massively appeals to me, as I've said before. I think I love the idea, and I said this in the interview, of going to places where you're off the beaten track, where tourists aren't that that common, you know, and you you feel like this is this is real life. This isn't someone selling little model Eiffel Towers on keychains. This is, you know, this this is the real essence of a place. And the, the places Chris was describing there really got that for me. What do you think? Is that the sort of trip that appeals to you or not? I'm aware of the fact that that probably isn't everyone's cup of tea. You know, a week, two weeks. He said four weeks, in fact, living in, essentially living on a train or doing some massively long train journeys in that time I appreciate that's not every everyone's cup of tea and you know that's fair enough isn't it that's that's what is great about travel is that you can do it in so many different and interesting ways there is something that appeals to everyone have you then on that basis got a travel story that you would love to share if so I would really like to hear it. Now, you don't have to have a large social media following, travel for full time or even have done the trip that recently. Those things aren't important. What is important, though, is getting a load of interesting and inspiring travel voices like Chris's on this podcast. Reach out and let's have a conversation. My email address is hello at lukerichardsonauthor.com. That's hello at lukerichardsonauthor.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I would massively appreciate your rating, reviewing or sharing it. That will help other interested people come on these journeys with us. And that is something that's really, really important to me. Thanks again for listening to the Travel Now podcast. You can connect with me via the email address I've just given. Hello at LukeRichardsonAuthor.com. On Instagram, it's at Luke Richer, L-U-K-E-R-I-C-H-A-A. We're on Facebook now too at Facebook.com forward slash The Travel now podcast and for inspiration about my writing and my travels take a look at my website lukerichardsonauthor.com and for all other episodes thetravelnowpodcast.com
Book It List sponsor this podcast. Make your bucket list come to life and turn it into a bucket list at bucketlist.co. Then, when you're ready, you can actually book it with great discounts. I'll be doing a show in a future episode on my personal bucket list, and I'd love to hear what's on yours. Thanks again, and I'll see you soon for another episode of the Travel Now podcast. Safe travels. <laughs>